You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. So we're at our last chapter in Hosea. We're finally come to this time. We never thought we were going to get there, did we? But we are. I'm going to miss it. It's been an enrichment for me as I just had an opportunity to preach from this, this passage, from this book, for, um, for my first time. Throughout this book of Hosea, we saw many different themes. We saw the theme of covenant, where God has entered into a covenant, a, a faithful, loyal uh, commitment to his people, and as a response, God's people then also entered into that covenant with the requirement that, that we would keep the, our end of the bargain. God was always faithful. God always kept his end of the bar- bar- bargain. He was always pursuing us, right, in, the, in, the, in, the, in this, this covenant. And yet, we know as God's people, we have not been faithful to the covenant. But that was a major theme in the book of Hosea. And we see that being played out throughout passage upon chapter upon chapter of how, how God has pursued his people and how God's people have rejected him. We also see the, the implication of that or the example of that in, in the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. That Hosea, God called her to pursue Gomer who, was, who would just sleep around, who would commit adultery after adultery, and yet Hosea was committed to win her back, to redeem her, to bring her back into relationship and to himself. We saw Hosea not giving up on his, her, his bride. Another theme as we see that God never gives up on his people, as we will see in this last chapter. But we also see people struggle with idol worship and violence and oppression of others. We saw the theme of repentance, God always calling his people back to repent. And we saw that if God's people do not repent, as we saw last week and a few weeks ago, there will be judgment on God's people, as we will see as we were know in the future of God's people's history, that Israel will fall to the Assyrians. But yet before they do, God gives his last appeal to his people in this beautiful passage in Hosea 14, a passage that shows forth gracious words to a people who Yahweh loves. So follow along as I read from Hosea 14. My version is the English Standard Version. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with your words and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will repay with bulls the vows of our lips. A Caesarea shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like an olive, the olive and the, his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. And they shall flourish like the grain. And they shall blossom like the vine. And their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? 
It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this last chapter, again we see gracious words to a people who do not deserve to hear these words. And yet, Father, help us to apply them in our own lives. Father, help us to see that you're about restoring us and renewing us and calling us to repent and to be restored in the image of Christ. Holy Spirit, do that work of grace as we work through this passage this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You see this picture of a broken down house. And I want you to focus more on the broken down house, this house, before we look at the beautiful restoration. I want to read from a book, a chapter or a, a page from the book Broken Down House by David Paul, Paul David Tripp. He used some very illustrative words to get to the point of this idea of restoration. Listen as I read um, from his first two pages. He says this, I really did not, I really did think he had lost his mind. And you'll see he's talking about his father-in-law. I couldn't believe he was going to do what he was about to do. I tried to reason with him, but he was so excited and engaged, I don't think he heard a word I said. The day had started out normally. We were with Lilo's parents having a leisurely breakfast and discussing what we wanted to do after breakfast. My father-in-law chimed in and said that he would like to look at houses. Now my mother-in-law, he says, was not at all interested. The thought of getting in and out of the car in the blazing sun to tour house after house had no attraction for her. So he extended the invitation to me, and I agreed to go. Now he had done his research well and knew of several houses he wanted to see. One particular house was at the top of the list. And as he drove to the north side of Miami into a rundown neighborhood, already I was thinking, Paul says, why would he want to own a house here? I hadn't seen anything yet. As we roved our way through the streets, we came upon a lot that had passed as a bomb site. That's when my father-in-law stopped the car and said, this is it. The first thing that hit me was the condition of the front yard. The grass was beyond cutting. Anybody have got to your point at that point? The condition of the front yard was horrible. There was, it needed harvesting. Scattered across the suburban savanna was a random collection of rotting mechanical debris. Old lawnmowers, decrepit appliances, rusty car parts were everywhere. The house had once been painted white, I think, but time, sun, dirt, wind, and neglect had given it a sticky, sickly, grayish, yellow skin, molted and peeling everywhere. The storm door hung in an old slant held in place by one rusty hinge. Now, while I was taking this all in, Paul says, my father-in-law turned to me and cheerfully said this, well, this looks promising. 
I checked in every direction, Paul says, trying to identify anything that was promising. And when he followed up, let's go inside and take a look. I began to wonder, is he delusional? A strong desire to protect this man from himself rose up in me. And he vastly says, it didn't seem possible that he, would, he could be seeing what I was seeing and still use the word promising. We come to this chapter, last chapter in Hosea. And probably much like Paul tripped to the father, to his father-in-law, as we look how, how fallen and broken sinfully God's people were during this time, we too would probably say, they don't look promising at all. And yet God says to us, says to them, this is still promising. He still has an investment in his people as he did then and as he does now. So let's look at this promising look that God has for us as we look at two areas. God's appeal to restore, where we see in the first three verses, and God's action to restore, as we see through verses um, six, four through nine. Or four, six through nine. So let's look again at verses one through three. What does he say? Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Again, Hosea, Hosea completes his prophecy with a series of a moving appeals to God's wayward people to return to the Lord. Friends, this is amazing grace, despite Israel's persistent refusal to turn back to the Lord and their continual worship of idols and their oppression of other people and their ultimate rebellion of forgetting the Lord, the invitation to return still stands. He's saying to you, saying to us, come to me all who are sinfully broken and find grace. Find me. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy hearted. Come and find rest in me. Find peace in me. Find me. You see, God directs and, and a, a direct, God's direct and firm plea here to return shows his persistence in not giving up on his people. And shows us as well that he does not give up on his people. As I mentioned earlier, remember the marriage theme of Hosea. Here he says to them and to us, against all the deserving, the marriage still holds. He is still theirs and we are still ours. Our devoted groom has not left his bride. And he wants us back. So he's appealing to God's people again, I want you back. But people, you need to realize there's a cost in wanting you back. And that is you need to repent. God is crystal clear on how he is to restore his people. But they need to come back in, in repentance. Again, does that remind us? John the Baptist, when he first began his ministry, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus himself, when he first preached in Matthew 4.17, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, for God's people during the time of Hosea, their kingdom is about to end. Assyria is about to take over. And so he says, repent to be spared from this taken, being taken over by this Assyrian oppressive government. Repent. Yahweh wants us to repent. Why does he want it? He wants our hearts. He wants us. Because he so loves us. And what so is amazing in this passage, as he calls us to repent 
He does not leave us on what we should not, how we should do it. He gives us clear instruction how we are to come to be restored in our repentance. The first thing he shows us that our repentance must include confession. It must include words. What, is it, what does it say in this passage? It says, take with you words. When you come to me, take with you words. Speak. Confess to the Lord out of, about your rebellion. Confess to the Lord of your need for forgiveness. See, turning to the Lord is a conscious, thoughtfully considered manner. Not a jumble of emotions. Our words we confess are one of not excuse, one of not defending ourselves, not of one of blaming others. No, we come confessing sincerely, thoughtfully, mindfully those things in our lives that have been offense to our God, which comes to the second way that God shows us how we're to come. We're to come with contrition. We're to come to specifically acknowledge our sins. He says, um, Hosea reminds him, about taking away all iniquity. You see, God is reminding us that he deals with our sins. The Hebrew word for here, iniquity, connotes perverseness and also guilt. The person who comes and asks to take away iniquity acknowledges that God alone can deal with both aspects. It deals with the pervasiveness of our sin, perverseness of our sin, as well as the guilt of our sin. God alone takes those things away. And so we come confidently knowing that as God is inviting us to confess and to acknowledge specifically naming our sins, we know that, that we are to come. And so Hosea, is, is, and God is, through Hosea, is encouraging God's people during that time to specifically name your sins. In their case, the allegiance to other kings, their devotion to idol worship that led them away from God. We too are to acknowledge our own broken loyalty. We, need to, we too need to come clean about our idols of our hearts as we talked about last week. Those idols that may be comfort, our peace, our health, our fame, our success, our family, our career, our health. Those things that bring more meaning and purpose and life to us than God himself. God is saying, no, they do not bring life. And so as we come confessing, as we come with a spirit of contrition, acknowledging specific sins before the Lord of how we sinned against God specifically, he reminds us as well, as we do that, we experience in our repentance God's goodness and God's mercy. What does it say? Accept what is good, and we will, we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Hosea is saying to God's people, God is saying to us today, accept God's forgiveness. Accept the reality that he took your guilt. He took your shame. Accept that God will continue to work to make you clean, to make you right. Accept the goodness of God in your repentance. But we also see something even more amazing. We see God's mercy. Listen, look into that last section of that verse 3. It says, in you... In you, the orphan finds mercy. What a beautiful climax of this section. Another way to translate this, passage, this verse is this. For in you, the fatherless finds a father's love. In you, the fatherless finds a father's love. Again, imagine this group of people have not at all showed that they had any interest in their lives to be him being their father, and yet... He offers them hope. I, too, 
I will bring you back into the fold, and you will be my children, and I will be your father. Now, again, this is an illusion as the book began with Hosea's broken marriage with Gomer and a disowned daughter that Gomer was. You remember her, her name first meant unloved. lo Rahamah meant unloved. But then she was renamed Ruramah, meaning she is loved. So she went from being unloved to being loved. And so this is a beautiful picture of restorative grace for God's rebellious yet repenting people, but also for us. When we turn to God, those who have been, those who have been forsaken by all other lovers, whatever those other lovers may be, your, lover of, your love of comfort, the love of relationships, the love of health, the love of, of meaning, the love of fame, the love of relationships, whatever love that you're trying to find um, grace, they have always left your, let you down. But one thing is certain. You will always in God find the steadfast love of a caring father. Every Christian, every adopted son and daughter of God experiences this overflowing mercy of God because of Jesus. So, we see God's heart to restore his people, but that includes the painful process for us to repent, to, to confess our sins, to confess and acknowledge our sins specifically so we can experience the goodness of God, that his forgiveness and his renewal, removal of guilt and shame, but also this mercy of God where we, we can cry out to our Father, Abba, Father, that, that in that relationship that, that we have not received the Spirit because of Christ, we have not received the Spirit of fear that leads to slavery, but what we have received the spirit of sonship where we cry out, Abba, Father. That is what God desires to do for each one who's put their faith in Christ. But not only do we see God's appeal to his people to return to him, he provides a way for his people to experience both healing and flourishing. Look again at verses 4 through 9. Listen to these beautiful words. He says this about his healing grace. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has, has turned from them. And I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, his fragrance like Lebanon. Here we see in this section that God alone... God alone can deal with the faithlessness of the human heart. He alone can deal with our sinful hearts. God's love, directed by his grace, does not rest on our merit, anyone's merit. I love what Charles Wesley, the famous hymn writer, professes. He says this, he has loved, he has loved us because he would love. He loved, he loved us, because he would love. God shows love for us. We see that in the healing, in the person and work of Christ. And what do I mean by that? We see this healing grace, verse 4, and God's anger being removed. You see, God's free and gracious love causes his anger to be turned away by the provision of the all-sufficient ransom of Jesus Christ. The one who had no sin, who was made sin for us, as Paul reminds us, in his letter to Corinthians. Now, last week in Hosea 13, 
we saw both very clearly the awesome nature of God's wrath and our own need for redemption. Now here in these verses, we see God dealing with his anger due to our rebellion, sinful brokenness. And as we look forward from this time period, we need to focus on how he did deal with his anger. God, through the perfect sacrifices of his, of his beloved son, Jesus Christ, has accomplished that which was impossible for us to accomplish. See, God's anger has been turned away because God has provided a ransom in giving his son to be our redeemer. Friends, that is healing grace. God's anger is turned from us, and he sees Christ and the work that he's accomplished for us when he died on that cross, when his body was broken, when his blood was shed, God's wrath was placed on him and not on us. That's where his anger was turned on his son, so we would not have to experience that anger. It was turned from us, put on his son, so that we can have a relationship full of healing and meaning and purpose. But not only that, this healing grace is experienced in verses 5 and 6. God's people are renewed. Let me read that again. I love this, these verses. I just love uh, what it, it signifies for us, those who are in Christ, is I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall appear spread out, and his beauty shall be like the olive, the fragrance like Lebanon. What comes to mind as you read these verses? These are gentle, refreshing, life-giving grace. It reminds you of spring, right? We see the beautiful trees blossoming in, in white and in pink. But here, it pictures a process of renewal, whereby what has been damaged, like that house that has been damaged by so much stuff, we have been damaged by sin, but it's restored to holiness. There's hope that God is making us whole again. You see, God delights to renew and restore us, much like Paul's trip's father-in-law was so delighted and about renewing this house, God's even more delighted to renew and to restore us. Friends, he always sees promise in us. No matter how far you have fallen, no matter how close you may be, he always sees promise in us. Not because of any goodness in ourselves, but out of his love for us. It is the life-giving spirit of Christ that does that renewing in our lives. Whereby we turn more and more from our sin, and we turn more and more to God. We turn more and more from our sin and confession and repentance, and we turn more and more to God by faith towards the ways of Jesus. In fact, since we are in Christ, since we have this union with Christ, since we're united to Christ due to our faith in him, there's a beautiful picture that, that now God provides us the fragrance that now we can reflect a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, you can imagine when Paul and his father-in-law walked into that house, that old, broken-down house, it must have stunk. It must have smelled. But in the work of restoration, right, as, as Paul's father-in-law began to restore the house, freshly painted, new floors, stained floors, whatever that had to be done in that house, it had another beautiful smell to it, does it not? Our house is in the process of being restored in some ways, and it's, it's a, there's a better smell to it. No more cat smells or dog smells, but there's a, there's a newer smell to our house. It's a good smell. And that's what he's saying here. Because I am, I am about renewing you, you're going to be now a sweet smell to me, not this sickly, 
awful smell, but because you are returning to me and you're finding your fragrance that comes ultimately from Christ, you can now offer sacrifices that offers a sweet aroma to me. Isn't that amazing? That we who are unclean and broken and due to our sinfulness, because of Christ, now we now can be a sweet fragrance to our God and to one another. And what we have in the future is totally amazing, that one day we will have a total and final restoration through Christ where all that is perishable will be raised and transformed and restored into our glorious new reality. That's the healing grace that we experience in Christ. But we also experience flourishing grace. Look at verses 7 and 9. It says, it says this, They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow, and they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine, and their, f- their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, where, what have I do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. God now provides us grace to flourish in our lives in these two verses. Our denomination, ECO, is all about flourishing. He wants our, we, he, they want us to flourish in glorifying God. They want us to flourish in making disciples. They want us to flourish in spreading this gospel to others. Well, if we want to flourish, then we need to understand how we are able to f- flourish. These verses are a beautiful picture of poise, spreading influence, strength, Vitality, vigor, and freshness. God will give them fruitfulness. God is the one who will enable us to be fruitful and to flourish. But it's, it's in our union with Christ that we're able to flourish. We cannot flourish apart from this renewing, flourishing grace that he provides. What he's saying to his people, as you turn to me, as I restore you, you will now be a blessing to me, to God. There will be now a vigor, a vitality to your faith for those who turn, return to the Lord. And in our restoration, we will flourish again in reflecting the beauty and the glory of Christ to others. But again, Hosea is very clear in verse 8. In order to flourish, God makes one final passion appeal as an anguish lover. Anguish lover. Kill the idol's in your life. Look at verse 8. Get serious with your idols of your heart. Take your sin seriously. In fact, this past Lenten study that we, we looked at, we looked at Hebrews chapter 12, I believe, and it talked about, the first part of the passage talked about the glory of Christ and what he's accomplished for us in his life and his death. That the great cost of Christ and his dying for us on our sin to remove that wrath that we talked about earlier. And then he says, do not But because of that work that Christ has done for us, then deal with your sin. Take your sins seriously. Hosea is saying the same thing to us here. Take your sins seriously. Identify what is is gravitating. You're gravitating to, to more than God. Because God can have nothing to do with idols, for they only lead to death. They will not help you flourish. They will not help you be fruitful in life. They will get in the way of experience his desire for you to flourish. But even as he gives that, that 
that appeal, flee from your idols, resist those idols, turn from your idols, get serious with your sin, he again reminds them, he gives them hope. He shows that we have promise when he says, I am like an evergreen cypress. I am like an evergreen cypress, right? Evergreens, right, they're always green. They don't decay, they, right? They don't, they don't get brown usually. Again, God reminds them in us of his faithfulness. See, with God, there is no winter of decay. With God, there is no winter of decay. In fact, he confirms that when he says, from me comes your fruit. He reminds that that he alone gives us all that we need for life and for flourishing. In fact, another passage that we're looking at in our Latin series is 2 Peter 1, 3 to 8. Let me read that, and you'll see this idea that God desires for us to flourish as he's given us all the resources we need to do that work of flourishing. Listen to what it Peter says to the church there, he says, His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For in these qualities are yours, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, through God's healing grace, through God's renewing grace, through God's flourishing grace found in Christ, you and I can bear fruit. I now am able to flourish and experience the peace and hope of Christ to face any storm that's in our lives, even this uncertainty of COVID-19. By my union with Christ, I have the compassion and strength to tell others about Jesus. I have the love and grace to encourage my brothers and sisters to stay focused on Jesus and his kingdom. And I have the spirit of Christ to bear the fruit of the spirit in both difficult and good times in my life. I can actually demonstrate by God's grace and God's empowerment to love well, to experience, to show forth joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Hey, we don't know how long we will be in this time. And as families are spending more and more time together, we need to be reminded of God's flourishing presence in our life. Because we're tempted, right? And we will fall, right? We will get irritated. We will become impatient. We will not be gentle. We will not exercise self-control. But yet I want us to, to, again, as I fix our eyes on Jesus, I want us to remind you that you do have the, the ability by your union with Christ to demonstrate his love, his self-control, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness to those in your household, even this week and next week, if we need to continue to be all together. God's grace is sufficient for you in these times. Let me conclude with this, with good news. For those of us, Christians, troubled and disappointed, with our level of spiritual experience, our, our, 
our, our flourishing. We're just struggling with the way that we're flourishing in our life. The closing words of Hosea are both encouraging and instructive. Look at verse 9. It says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright, upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. There's a way out of our predicament of spiritual dryness and spiritual depression. A way to reverse a path littered with disobedience and sin. For those who are far from God, there's a way back. For those who are near the Lord, there's a way to even to be nearer still. You see, our journey of faith is clear. Fix your eyes on Jesus whose ways are always right and who proactively keeps us from stumbling into sin. And the joy that is set before us is this, that the reception home one day is absolutely certain, guaranteed by the promise of the covenant-keeping lover of our soul, God. See, wisdom resides in the character and being of God, and it was woven in every fabric of his creation. But due to sin, we became foolish rather than wise. But Christ, as the Gospels tell us and in his, Paul's letter to Corinthians and in his letter to Colossians, it says, but Christ became wisdom on our behalf of God's people. See, in him are all the treasures, and Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, those united to Christ are now unable to live wisely in a sinful, broken world, demonstrating the genuineness of our faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends in Christ, our gracious and holy God is all about restoring us making us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, where we will able to be, bear his wisdom, his beauty, his grace, his power, his glory. Oh, rest in that reality. May you see that this turning to the Lord that he desires for restoration is a good thing. Yes, a difficult thing. Yes, a painful thing. But it's a good thing because he's making us more like Jesus. And what can be better than that? to the walk and the ways of Jesus. Keep that in mind as we journey together in these times. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we are so excited that as you look to us, you see us promising. I don't know why, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how you could see, look at me and see promising, but you do. It's in Christ that you see promise, right? We know, you know that your son can do a great work in our lives, that he enables us to experience healing grace because of his work. We can experience renewing grace because of his work, and we can experience flourishing grace because of the person and work of Christ. Apart from that, we are not able to do anything of good. But yet, as we, as we by faith, hold on to Christ, as we, faith, continue to turn to Christ, as we continue to repent of those things that get in the way, we know for certain that you will work in us to make us that sweet aroma to others, especially to you, that we too can reflect the genuineness of our faith because we know the one who has all things under control. We know the one who's about restoring a broken, sinful people so that we can be, reflect the beauty and glory of Christ. Oh God, do that work among us, I pray. Help us to encourage one another towards that end in these times. 
Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus in the midst of this storm, for he truly is the one who is life-giving, who is full of peace, who is full of mercy, who is full of goodness. Oh God, help us, I pray, in Christ's name, amen. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.